G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As we do on a Tuesday and these updates become all the more important, more activity happens in Israel and the Middle East. Ron Ross has been scouring the headlines overnight. We'd like to bring the segment that brings these breaking news headlines for listeners each Tuesday. Uh, Ron, welcome back to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Ron, let's start with one of the headlines today marking a significant day in Israel's political history. Benjamin Netanyahu's mandate to form a coalition government expires today. Yes, actually it expires at 11.59pm Tuesday night Israel time, which is 8 o'clock tomorrow morning for us. And President Rivlin will invite factions tomorrow morning to call him if they have new recommendations to form a government. Even if the Likud and its satellite parties recommend Yamina Chairman Naftali Bennett to form a government, Rivlin's second mandate will most likely go to Yeshatid Chairman Yair Lapid on Wednesday night or possibly on Thursday. The President does not intend to fall prey to a dirty political manoeuvre, a person who spoke with Rivlin said. Technically, the president could extend Netanyahu's mandate by up to two weeks. But at this present time, it looks like that would be a waste of time because that uh, coalition seems to be going nowhere. On Monday, Lapid told his faction he would receive the mandate from Rivlin and enable Bennett to form a unity government. So it's very likely that that's the way we'll see politics in Israel go in the immediate future. As untidy as it looks, we'll keep monitoring it. And it's not just the Israeli elections uh, in that neck of the woods uh, because the Palestinian Authority elections have been postponed. And, uh, Ron, that's raised serious tensions between warring factions. Yes, not uh, uh, obsolete sort of news. It continues. Political unrest continues to mount in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip after President Mahmoud Abbas postponed what would have been the first Palestinian parliamentary and president-elect elections in over 15 years. Abbas, at a meeting of the Palestinian leadership in Ramallah, said, A few days ago, the Israelis told us that we're not allowed to hold elections in East Jerusalem. He then read the text of an Israeli message saying, We're sorry, dear neighbours, that we cannot give you an answer regarding Jerusalem. The reason is that we do not have a government to decide. We will not go to the elections without being able to vote in Jerusalem, Abbas said. A caretaker government has led Israel since the March 23 election. Abbas's decision to indefinitely postpone the council vote, which had been set for May 22, and the Palestinian Authority presidential vote, which had been scheduled for July 31, infuriated many factions, especially Hamas, the ruling party in the Gaza Strip. Expect them to get physical. Mm. 
And Ron, there's always a new angle on the tensions between the Palestinians and the Israelis. Now a UN committee is set to examine Palestinian apartheid charges against Israel. What's the story here? This is a huge story in Israel at the moment. The United Nations Arbitrations Committee is poised to examine a Palestinian Authority complaint. Israel has committed acts of apartheid. The move comes as a civil society allegation against the Jewish state on the issue of apartheid by Israeli left-wing NGOs such as Yestin and Bet Silom and by the US-based Human Rights Watch have made headlines. Israel's mission to the UN in Geneva issued a sharp retort on the matter yesterday. They said that CERD, which is the uh, Committee for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, has applied discriminatory standards against Israel to justify its outrageous decision on the admissibility of the politically motivated Palestinian complaint. Let me just point out that this complaint was initially made on April the 23rd, 2018. The matter should have been dealt with in 2020, uh, but has been delayed. Uh, No doubt we'll be monitoring that one along as it develops too, Ron. Hey, last Sunday, Israel observed a national day of mourning for victims of the Mount Meron disaster. What's the story here? Yeah, the approval was made by telephone following a suggestion by Benjamin Netanyahu and Defence Minister Benny Gantz. Flags in Israel on Israel army bases and Israeli establishments abroad such as embassies, were flown at half-mast. As a result of the disaster at Mount Meron, cultural events and musical performances that were expected to take, take place on Friday were cancelled throughout Israel. Let me put this into context for you. Approximately 90,000 mostly ultra-Orthodox Jews thronged to the Mount Meron tomb of 2nd century sage Rabbi Shimon Bok Bar Yochai for the annual Lagbona commemorations that included all-night prayer. Just get that context of 90,000. The village of Meron is located on the mountain and has a population of less than 1,000. It was a terrible tragedy. Well, those sorts of disasters on that scale certainly need a national day of recognition. Uh, Ron, here's a report that highlights why we should be constantly praying for persecuted Christians. Uh, Ron, you've got some insights from a conference called The Future of Christianity in the Middle East. Give us your insights now. Your Iraqi Cardinal Louis Rafael Seiko has reiterated his call for the creation of non-confessional states in the Middle East that give equal standing to all citizens regardless of their religion. I think the only future for countries in the Middle East is to set up a secular regime and to respect religion, he said at that conference, the future of Christianity in the Middle East. Seiko, who was the Chaldean Patriarch of Baghdad, was elevated to the rank of Cardinal, and he's been fighting for Christians in persecuted territories ever since. What we need is an end to this mentality that Christians are infidels, he said on Saturday. This mentality of sectarianism and this bad mentality of the lack of respect for non-Muslims. In early April, Seiko issued his proposal for the first time 
urging Iraq to separate religion from the government, as the Christian West has done for a long time. A civil or secular state is not hostile to religion and respects all faiths, but does not include politics, Seiko said. He talked about guaranteed freedom for religion and worship. Uh, it's an interesting tussle. Uh, Christians have been treated in many ways in the Middle East as second-class citizens, and uh, it's a fight that continues to go on, and uh, persecution is part of our faith, and we should be reminded to continually pray for Christians who are persecuted anywhere. There is always a twist in everything that develops, isn't there? And, uh, you know, it would be conversation for another day, but the idea that the way that a secular society governs religion is itself a fruit of Christianity. It's uh, the challenging thing, of course, uh, is that when that secularization becomes a weapon to be used against Christians, uh, that we have all sorts of challenges. But, hey, uh, great getting your insights once again, and as always, Ron Ross, and uh, thanks so much for taking that time to share those with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 